morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn over to Galatians chapter 2, Galatians 2, where we'll begin uh, this period of our worship where we study from the Bible. Galatians chapter 2. It is good to see you this morning, and uh, good to see you. As was mentioned, we have some visitors. We're glad that you're here. I want to make special mention of the fact that Brent and Leah are here. You get to meet not quite half the church this morning, so um, congratulations. We're glad that you're here, excited about you working with us. And uh, it's been, uh, well, not the most ideal time for the kinds of transitions that have been happening in Brent and Leah's life, but uh, we're glad that they're here with us. Uh, we still need to talk to Brent about changing his name to Zach if he's going to work here with us in the, the uh, intern program, since that seems to be the way of things here. But uh, looking forward to the time we're going to spend together, and I uh, want to acknowledge them. Thank you for being here, and uh, I understand and know uh, sometimes it's hard to sing, and sometimes it's, it's kind of strange. I know uh, I have been noticing with all the mask wearing that uh, I don't hear as well as I thought I did, uh, and usually I'm looking at your lips to see what you're saying, but when you can't see lips, um, just kind of hope for the best. And uh, so uh, we, we have to be patient with each other about that. But it's good to see everyone this morning. I want to read in Galatians 2, verse 11. Galatians 2, 11, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul is describing a terrible tragedy. Paul is in Antioch, which is the first place where Jews and Gentiles are in a church together. And you can imagine the difficulty there is of blending those two ethnic groups together, especially when there's a long history of some prejudice from each, between those two groups. But when Peter comes, Peter comes down and begins to eat with the Gentile Christians, which is a big deal because we know from other places that Peter had never eaten with Gentiles or eaten unclean things. And yet here he is accommodating his new Gentile brethren. But what is described here is that when certain men came down from Jerusalem, he calls them men from James and men from the circumcision party, Peter stops eating with the Gentiles and says, I don't want to do that anymore. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a Gentile Christian and have an apostle say, nope, I'm not coming over today. No more invitations to me. I'm just eating with my Jewish friends. And as I thought about that story, and I thought about what Paul mentions here, I, there is an echo of something else. I've recognized that behavior. I've seen that before. In fact, I think that when you think about a group of people who would come and be so influential that everyone would be scared of them and start acting differently whenever they show up, well, that's the kind of behavior that I would identify as bullying. Bullying, that is, intimidation aggressiveness. And in fact, you see in verse 12, it says, Peter feared the circumcision party. He was afraid, and so he acted out of his fear. So what I want to do for a few minutes this morning is not talk about what Peter should have done. I don't want to talk about the fact that sometimes under pressure, we do things we shouldn't do. That is its own lesson and an important one. But what I want to talk about is the flip side of that. I want to talk about the kind of behavior that would leave other people trying to react to us and please us, afraid of us. I want to think about how we can identify a spiritual bully. Now, I am saying that there are people, and I think I can prove this to you from Scripture, 
who are intimidating and aggressive in religious matters. And what we need to do is not just identify that behavior so that we're aware that that can happen, but we then need to think about ourselves. We need to think about the question, am I like this? Do I ever express bullying tendencies? And we need to think about, well, what do I do if I feel like I have been spiritually bullied? And we need to think about both of those questions. My suggestion to you this morning is that I think almost all of us have been on both sides of spiritual bullying, that we have been the bully and we have been the bullied. And so I want us to think about what that looks like and how we can do better. So if we want to identify spiritual bullies, the first thing we would say about that is that they demand their way. So behind this text, Galatians 2, is a very complex issue, which is the issue of how do non-Jews serve Jesus? And you know, if you've studied any in the New Testament, that that was a very explosive issue. A lot of the Jews, Jewish Christians, felt like the Gentiles had to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul had personal experience with this group. He calls them the circumcision party because they are trying to convince Gentiles to be circumcised. Look back in Galatians 2 and verse 3 with me. In verse 3 he says, when he goes to Jerusalem, he says, even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised. I think that's a very interesting language, by the way. He was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So he takes Titus with them as sort of a test case. Do Gentiles have to be circumcised to follow Jesus? And no one forced Titus to be circumcised. But there are people there, he says, who are there to spy out our freedom, who are trying to make us do things that Jesus tells us not to do or doesn't tell us to do. And those people have now come to Antioch. And Peter caves into them. And verse 12, Galatians 2.12, For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Now we focus on the fact that Peter doesn't eat with the Gentiles, But neither do any of these other Jewish Christians. They pull back. In fact, he says in verse 13 that even Barnabas is carried away in this. Barnabas, who was one of the first founders of the church in Antioch. But this is the mark of bullying. Bullies are people who say, it's got to be my way, even if the rest of the church, even if the Holy Spirit, even if the apostles have decided that circumcision is not essential, you need to be circumcised. That is what I believe. You need to eat only with Jews. You cannot eat with the Christians who are Gentiles. So it's my way or the highway. Nothing else is acceptable. Now you can just imagine the impact that has on relationships. It must be my way in spiritual things or else. I want to show you another example. We're not going to turn there, but I'll just put it on the board here. This is 3 John verses 9 and 10. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, it's a little bit of motive understanding there, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. This is an interesting passage because it distinguishes between what is bullying and what is just typical Christian correcting. So I I wonder how someone who is not a Christian would look at a passage like this. I can imagine them saying, you know what? Diotrephes has control of the church, and John wants control. So John is bad-mouthing Diotrephes, who's bad-mouthing John, who's bad-mouthing Diotrephes, and it's just, it's just a power struggle. 
But I want you to notice the difference. Diotrephes here is not just someone John doesn't like. He, he lists the things he's doing that are wrong, talking wicked nonsense against us, us here being the apostles. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he stops those who wants to, want to and puts them out of the church. So he is saying, this is bullying behavior, and it's unacceptable. And John, with his authority as an apostle, says, this is incorrect. But I want you to see with Diotrephes, the whole point is Diotrephes wants to control. He wants his way. And in fact, you really get the feeling that the reason he is controlling who comes in and who goes out of the church is because he wants to limit the number of voices who are going to challenge him. That is spiritual bullying. He demands his way. Let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9. I also think you can see this behavior in the... By the way, we'll come back to Galatians 2, so put your marker there. Sorry, I meant to tell you that before we left. But uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, you can see this behavior even among Jesus' disciples while Jesus is present. This idea of, of sort of being a spiritual boss and demanding your own way. Luke 9 and verse 49, you see a couple of examples here in a row. Luke 9, 49... John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. So you have this in two stories that are put right back to back. Two examples, and John is in both of them, but his brother is in the second one, of people who the apostles kind of want to whip into shape. So you've got a guy they come upon who's casting out demons, and John says, hey, we, we stopped him because he doesn't follow us. He's not in the approved entourage of Jesus. And so he shouldn't be casting out demons unless he's going to do it, you know, the way we do it. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Don't try to stop him. That's not your job. And then you've got James and John who when, when Jesus wants to come into this village of the Samaritans, for whatever reason, they don't want him to come. And so James and John are ready to call down fire and kill them all. Because after all, that's not the way they should Act. And Jesus turns and rebukes them. Some versions have him saying something like, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. But the point is, you don't get to decide when somebody lives or dies, does right or wrong. You don't get to make those judgments. That is spiritual bullying. It's got to be my way. I think you could throw in there Martha saying to, about Mary, hey, tell her to help me. I'm over here doing all the serving. Mary is in there listening to Jesus. I mean, come on. This isn't fair. Martha wants her way. James and John want their way. John wants his way. Diotrephes wants his way. The Jewish Christians want their way. And none of them are about what God had actually revealed. What we see here is a problem of character. So it's natural for us. We all prefer our way. We think our way, and we think our way is best. Otherwise, we wouldn't think it, right? We think a different way. The problem comes not in having our own opinions, not in liking it our way. The problem comes when we demand that others do things, say things, like things, 
work with things our way. It must be my way. Now, I am not saying, please hear me, I am not saying that if we ever encourage someone to do what the Bible clearly says, that we're bullies. I am not saying that if we ever express our opinions, we are bullies. I am saying that demanding our way and not countenancing any other way of doing things is bully behavior. I'll give you a good example. It's on my mind lately. A good example is responses to this whole pandemic crisis. I don't know how much you pay attention to what people in other churches, other places are saying and doing about how their local churches are responding to this crisis. But you can only imagine the wide variety of responses and thoughts about this. Everyone thinks differently about this. We all have our opinions, and we all think this is the way to handle it. This is what a local church should do. This is what a local church should not do. And that goes the full spectrum. Depending on what the government says, depending on what guidelines are, there's a big debate about masks or no masks. Okay? All of this, all of this comes down to our own personal thoughts and opinions. Now, can you see how easily that slips from the realm of my opinion into the realm of what you need to do because of what I think? If we demand our way, we become spiritual bullies. I know of situations where, for example, the words that are said at the Lord's table must be these words or else a rebuke is forthcoming. I know of situations where unless certain things are worn, rebukes are forthcoming. And I am suggesting to you that when we try to control others' faith in this way, demanding that it be our way or else, we're spiritual bullies. Second, spiritual bullies control using force and fear. Let's go back to Galatians 2. Galatians 2. So if you remember, the way Paul describes Peter's response to the Jewish Christians coming down is using this word fear. Galatians 2 and verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Fearing. What do we fear? What is Peter afraid of? I don't think Peter is afraid physically that they're going to do something to him. What Peter is afraid of is getting into trouble. In fact, Peter had gotten into trouble with the same group before. If you read Acts 11, right after he comes out of Cornelius' house, they confront him. Same people. And you know, if we've already had that discussion and we've already hashed that out, I mean, I don't want to talk about that again. I don't have to do that whole thing again. And so Peter, you know, it's just easier to accommodate than to go through that difficulty every time. We want everything to be fine, and so other people can use those confrontations to produce fear in us and then to control us. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we studied about the blind man in John 9? And we talked about how the, uh, the Pharisees, the Jews in that text, used intimidation to try to get his parents to say something, try to get him to say what they wanted him to say. This is John 9, 22. His parents said these things. Remember, they wouldn't say anything about what had happened. Oh, we don't know. We just know this was our son. He was born blind. Other than that, just ask him. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. 
And remember, the putting out of the synagogue was to be a social outcast. If you owned a business and you were put out of the synagogue, no one would patronize your business. No one would hang out with you. No one would eat with you. You were excommunicated. So you can imagine the fear that would engender. If you are a Jew living in Jerusalem, you can't be put out of the synagogue. That's the end of your life. So, of course, they're going to be afraid if that's what's on the table, if they tell the truth. This is John 12, 42, same idea. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Now, John focuses on the weakness that shows in them. They should have been stronger and bolder, and I understand that, and that's a fair point. What I am saying is, what about these Pharisees who are trying to control everybody by fear? trying to manipulate the facts so that they end up favoring them because they're afraid, the people are afraid of what will happen if they tell the truth. Spiritual bullies control people using force and using fear. So we talked about fear a little bit, but what about force? Sometimes spiritual bullies do actually have authority, and they use that authority in ways that they should not. And I want to remind you for just a moment here that Scripture teaches us that we do not ever and should not ever try to force someone to do what is right. That's not the way doing right works. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll show you what I mean. 1 Peter 5. We will come back to Galatians, so don't lose your place there. 1 Peter 5. First Peter 5 and verse 1, the text says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, he talks about, first of all, the the motive of the elder. He is not to be someone who is taking on the work under compulsion. You know, it's his choice. But in verse 3, he says, not domineering. Or yours might have something like lording it over those who are in their charge. And that speaks to a certain leadership style, doesn't it? Where we're in control and we're going to force everyone to do whatever we decide. And he says, elders should not lead that way. And the picture that he uses is the picture of a shepherd with a sheep, which is very different from the picture of driving cattle. Driving cattle. Cattle are driven, they're forced, but sheep are led. And so elders are shepherds, and they are to lead, not by forcing the flock to follow them. They don't follow out of fear, but because they want to follow the shepherd. They trust him, and he leads them. And he says, let that be the pattern of your leadership. Don't lord it over. Don't domineer. Don't force. That is the wrong direction for Christ's leaders. And in fact, what I want to show you is that connects very strongly to Jesus' style of leadership. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Jesus uses the same term that's translated in my version, domineering, when he talks about in Matthew 20, the way he wants his disciples to interact with each other. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20 and verse 25, he says, 
Uh, but Jesus called them to him. This is when they're fighting again over who's going to be the greatest. And James and John have tried to you know, sneak a place in the greatest, the right and left hand of the kingdom. Verse 25, but Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. That's our word, domineering, lorded over. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, instead of looking to control or force other people, what he calls lording it over, he says, the Gentiles do that. That's sort of the natural way of the world. He says, my people will be different. Not so among you. Among you, the greatest will be the servant. You seek to serve and you lead by serving instead of by forcing. And I want you to see the great contrast that is between Jesus and the way Jesus led and teaches us to lead and the way the Pharisees led. The Pharisees who tried to control the message, tried to control the people, tried to control everything about the situation and end up killing Jesus. And Jesus, who does not force anyone to come to him or to follow him, but instead says, I'm going to serve and draw people rather than forcing them. Now, which of those models will we follow? Which of those behaviors is healthy? Which of those directions are we going to go in? I want to warn you because it seems to me that this way of the world still calls out to us. Whether we're talking about somebody who is a boss, or we're talking about someone who is a father or a husband, or we're talking about someone who is an elder, whoever it may be. This way of the world that says, you know what, people aren't going to do what they should until you make them. And, and this voice calls to us and says, you know what, that all sounds good. Yeah, Jesus said all that, but that's not realistic. This is the real world. And in the real world, people do what they want until you make them. We need to be careful because we can very easily slide into this kind of behavior, being a spiritual bully, trying to control people, even if it's for their own good, using methods that Jesus specifically decries. I want to show you how Paul does it differently. This is Philemon. Now, remember in Philemon what has happened is that Philemon's slave has run away, come to Paul. Paul has converted him, and now he sends him back to Onesimus. I mean, he sends Onesimus back to Philemon. And now Philemon has a choice to make. Basically, Paul could have kept the slave and say, you just stay here and take care of me and help me. But he says, I don't want to force Philemon into that position. So Philemon 8, verses 8 and 9, accordingly... Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. Do you hear the difference? I could tell you you have to, but I don't want to do that. I would rather ask you. And there's a world of difference in those two things, isn't there? Don't you much prefer to be asked? Don't you much prefer someone to say please? To acknowledge that this is something you're choosing instead of you're doing under compulsion? He says in verse 13, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. I wanted you to want to do this, not be forced to do this. Paul refuses to pull rank. Say, so you know what, Philemon? I'm an apostle, and it's time you get in line. 
I'm telling you this is what you're going to do. Paul instead says, would you please do this? I appeal to you. I don't want to force you. I want this to come from your heart. So, bullies control using force or fear. Let me be clear. There is a difference between having an honest disagreement with someone and being a spiritual bully. There is a difference in saying, I want to help you. You need to do something different. You need to change this or that about your behavior and being a spiritual bully. And the issue is control. That we understand we cannot control anyone but ourselves. And that we don't attempt to control them through force and through fear. Again, I want to remind you that the world is whispering to us, this will never work. You always have to force people or else people won't go. And I want to remind you that is the voice of the spiritual bully. The third thing I want you to see is that spiritual bullies ignore the impact of their behavior. Let's go back to Galatians 2. Galatians 2, where we started. And I want you to think with me about why Paul is so frustrated with Peter when Peter comes down and he was eating with the Gentiles and now he won't. Galatians 2 and verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I know that last verse, you kind of get wrapped around the axle on that one. The point he is saying, by, by saying this to Peter, he is saying, do you understand the impact you're having on your Gentile brothers? Do you get it? You are telling them they have to live like Jews when even you don't do that. Have you thought about, not about whether you're afraid of these Jewish Christians, have you thought about how your behavior will impact your Gentile brothers? Again, can you imagine how hurtful it would be for them to be spurned by an apostle? And then the behavior starts to catch on so that all of the Jewish Christians are are carried away. Even Barnabas is caught up in it. And suddenly you have a full-scale scandal in the church. That's why Paul says, I withstood Peter to his face. It was a big deal, and everybody knew about it. Peter wasn't thinking about the influence he had and the damage he did. Because that's spiritual bullying. It's not really considering how my behavior is going to affect the people that I am dealing with in this way. Sometimes we decide things for ourselves. You know, I I think to live as a Christian, I need to do this, this, and this. That would be good for me, and sometimes it is good for me. But then when I take my rules and I put them on you, I don't even realize the burden they become for you. Very often, we can make rules for ourselves that when we put on others, become an incredible burden. I want to show you that in Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. Sometimes there are rules we make that are much harder for others than they are for us. Look in Acts 15. Acts 15, we're still talking here about this issue of circumcision and Jew and Gentile uh, living together in the local church. Acts 15 and verse 5, it says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees 
rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Now think about that. Is that hard for a Jewish Christian? No. No, he's already been circumcised when he was eight days old. He's been keeping the law his whole life. That's easy. Of course they should keep the law. Of course they should be circumcised. Not thinking at all about what it would mean for a grown man Gentile to be circumcised. Not at all thinking about what it would mean for them to completely change their way of life. Really unnecessarily. It's easy for me, but it sure is hard for you. Now the apostles pick up on that. If you look a little further in verse 10, Acts 15 and verse 10, Peter says... Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Putting a yoke on them, it is a burden they have to carry, and none of us have been able to do it, and neither were our ancestors. So why are we demanding that new people come in and put on the yoke too? Easy for me, hard for them. Look a little further in verse 19. James says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. You know what would trouble them? Making them keep a long list of rules that they don't really have to keep. That would make it harder for them. And in fact, in verse 28, he talks about uh, laying no greater burden than these requirements. Do you see what's happening? It's one thing for them to say, oh yeah, they should be circumcised, keep the law of Moses. It's another thing for the people who actually have to do it. But spiritual bullies, they don't think about that. They just think about getting their way and controlling other people. They do not consider how that impacts people. Let's go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. I want to read a couple of verses here and we'll start to make some applications. Matthew chapter 23. This is where Jesus dresses down the Pharisees and he talks about the impact that their perspective has on the people who listen to them. Matthew 23 and verse 2. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So they get these big burdens and they put them on people and they say, okay, well, that's good for you. I'm not going to do it. It's not a rule for me. It's a rule for you. That's bully behavior. I'm going to force you to do things that are really easy for me. I'm not even going to have to lift my finger to do it. And then a little further down, verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. That's the end result of their behavior. Now, they didn't do that on purpose. They weren't trying to shut up the kingdom of heaven. What happens is... They make so many rules and so many loopholes and so many new things you have to learn that it has the practical effect of nobody can go in. And they don't even consider how that impacts the regular person who listens to what they're teaching them. When we bully people, we train them to think that the whole point of religion is to listen to us, not to God. After all, we're the ones that they really have to answer to. We're the ones they really have to satisfy. They need to figure out how to live right so that we're not mad at them, not so that God is pleased. So here are some characteristics of a behavior that we see illustrated repeatedly in the New Testament. Spiritual bullies demand their way. They control using force and fear. They ignore the impact of their behavior. 
Now, I, I especially want to say, I, I believe I have been both the victim of spiritual bullying and the perpetrator. And I suspect, I, I really want for these thoughts not to, not to get us to start pointing fingers at other people, but to start looking inside. And to think about the tendencies that we all have to use these methods to affect other people, probably in ways we don't anticipate. But you might ask the question, well, what do I do? What do I do, first of all, if I realize that I have been a spiritual bully? That I've had these kinds of thoughts, these kind of interactions with other Christians, and I see that maybe I shouldn't have done it that way. So let me, let me do a little confessional here. I have been guilty of this kind of behavior. When I have felt like people had to say things in spiritual context exactly the way I would have said them. And if they didn't, I'd shake my head, maybe correct them. Do you mean this? When this got really bad for me, it got to a point where I felt like no one could really do the talking except for me. Dangerous try to control people's behavior because I knew what was best for them and they always didn't know what was best for them. So it might be easier for me to just take over. What do I do when I realize I've been a bully? I think the, the answer naturally flows out of what we've studied. That is, if we're talking about demanding our way, we need to understand the difference between what is scriptural and biblical and what is just our understanding and thought about it. We're all going to have our opinions and our own interpretations, but there is a difference between what I think and what God says. And we need to know that difference. And when we are just talking about my way, we need to back off. There are other ways to fulfill Scripture than just the way we would do things. And we need to understand that people need the leeway to do things that honor God and follow His Word, maybe in a little bit different way than I would. If we're talking about controlling using force and fear, if I realize that I've been a bully, I need to acknowledge that behavior for what it is and see that what I'm trying to do is force other people to be like me. I'm trying to create a clone because I think my way is best. Suddenly, you've got to do it my way. And if you don't, well, I'm going to make you miserable. I'm going to force you. I'm going to make you afraid of me. And we have to be willing to say, no more of that. Especially when we've noticed people afraid of us, afraid to talk to us. That fear should be a telltale sign that something is unhealthy in the relationship. And if we ignore the impact of our behavior, of their, our behavior on others, we need to start thinking with some compassion. Thinking about when I say something or make a declarative statement, how does that affect someone else? Do I have any compassion for them? think we need to think about that there are some things that are easy for us to say but are hard for other people to do when you talk to a new christian and maybe they've had a drug habit maybe they're in a relationship that they're struggling to end maybe they battle something that that you look at and you say well why don't you just quit just stop it how hard is this i don't understand why you're having such trouble to have a little more compassion i think that will help us with bullying. But the other question I want to answer for just our last few minutes here is what do we do if we realize that we have been bullied? And here I think there is an important answer. 
We live in a world where when, when something has become, what our, our, word, our buzzword today is toxic. When something has become toxic, we just say, you know what? We just got to get out of that relationship no matter what. Just immediately leave. And you know what? That has trickled into our local churches, hasn't it? Where as soon as we have a crossword with anyone, we say, well, I'm just going to go down the road and find some other church, some other group of brethren, and then we are there until we get a crossword with somebody there, and then we just keep going and going and going. I want to remind you that Paul tells us that we, with humility and gentleness, are to bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4. So, what can I do if I have been bullied? It is possible for us to accommodate a spiritual bully. We just need to understand that if we do accommodate and we say, you know what, that's fine, you do it your way, that we're doing that out of love and not out of force. I don't do it because I have to, I do it because I choose to. And that's a perfectly biblical idea, to give up my will in deference to someone else, even if I think they're not behaving as they should. I can still do that. It's possible for me, if I have been bullied, to challenge and say, you know what, you're saying that, but that's not the same as this. And to try to say, you know what, let's have a discussion about this and carve out our own space to do things our way instead of their way. It's possible that we can point out the difference and distinguish the difference between their words and God's will. But I want to say, the fact that we may feel we're being bullied doesn't really change the submission relationships that we're in, does it? If we don't agree with the behavior of our governor, of our president, of someone in authority over us in government, that doesn't change our obligation to them, does it? We still submit. And there will be decisions that our elders make that we say, you know what, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't like that. That doesn't change our obligation to them, does it? To submit, to obey them. It may be that in all of these relationships, we don't agree, and we may even feel like we're being spiritually bullied. But I'm not sure that changes the obligation we have to submit. Perhaps in some extreme cases, we might say, you know what, this has gone too far, and I've tried to fix the problem, but I just can't. But I think we need to squelch that natural instinct we have to say, this is not fair, I'm out of here. In our local churches, and in our marriages, and in all of our relationships. Perhaps what most needs to be said is that Jesus gives us a pattern for dealing with any kind of problem we have with our brother, doesn't he? In Matthew 18, he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. I understand when you're talking about a spiritual bully, that's scary. Because they're scary. That's, they're bullies. But maybe this is the courage that we need. Not to run away from a problem, but to say, here is the issue. Let's talk about it and come to an agreement. And perhaps we need to think differently about the people that we have this frustration with and think, think instead of, I'm out of here. Think, how can I help this brother grow he needs to know how his behavior is impacting me. And instead of viewing him as an irredeemable bully, to think, maybe he can change. Maybe something better can happen here. Have you thought about this? As much as 
bullies ignore and don't have compassion for their victims, that sometimes when we've been bullied, we have no compassion for the one who's doing it. We're not thinking about why are they acting this way? Where is this coming from? What do they want? Do you know most people who exhibit these kinds of behaviors are extremely devicted, devicted, that's not a word, devoted and convicted? I can make up words if I want. Uh, Don't worry, I'll preach it again next hour and I'll get it right. Extremely devoted, extremely convicted, and that's where this comes from. They care so much. You know what? That's a good thing. Can we give them the benefit of the doubt? Can we wait for them to grow? Can we say, you know what? This was an example of this, but I'm not going to give up on that person. I can try to understand them, and I can contribute positivity and encouragement instead of just saying this relationship doesn't work. We could go on and on about this, but you see my point, which is I don't believe the New Testament encourages us to say, let's just be done with people like this. Instead, we see them as our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we try to save that relationship. My goal in preaching a lesson like this is for us to understand In a local church, sometimes we're going to get cross with each other. Sometimes we're going to have trouble, and sometimes there is unhealthy behavior behind it. But that doesn't mean that we have to end those relationships. That doesn't mean that everything has fallen apart. Instead, this is part and parcel of what we do to maintain unity in a local church. And I want to encourage all of us to that. Would you pray with me about it? Our God and Father, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us. Father, we're thankful for your word that teaches us so much about ourselves and about one another. We are thankful for this opportunity to open your word and to examine ourselves. I pray, Father, for this local church as we work together, as sometimes we interact poorly, and sometimes we need patience with each other. Help us, Father, to follow the example of Jesus. Help us to remember his way of leading by serving, by compassion, and by honest concern, sincere concern. Father, I pray that you'll help us to be more like him and that this local church will reflect that he is at work in us and among us. Father, I pray that you'll help us not to be spiritual bullies, people who try to push others around, but instead that we can trust them and trust you, that you will be in control and that you will do what is right. Help us also, Father, to be patient with one another as we wait for one another to grow till we all come to the stature of the fullness of Christ. Father, we pray for this local church, and we pray for our unity, and we pray for our leaders. Help us, Father, as we do this work together. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation. This is the time that we have reserved for those who are not yet Christians to become Christians by being baptized into Christ, having their sins washed away. Or if there's any need that you have that you want to make known to this local church, this is your time. Please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.